This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 12, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Theresa May will become the new British Prime Minister, but her record as head of the Home Office does little to reassure those who favor free markets. Tom Clardy, managing editor at Cato Journal, discusses what May brings to the table and what her ascension means for trade and immigration. Theresa May is leaving her position as Home Secretary to become the next Prime Minister. What does the Home Secretary do? Well, there's no direct equivalent in the United States, but it's considered one of the great offices in the United Kingdom. Uh, it probably ranks just after the Prime Minister, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who's our equivalent of the Treasury Secretary, uh, and possibly the Foreign Secretary as well. So it's, it's right up there in government. Basically, it's a combination of policing, uh, security and counterterrorism, uh, immigration, issues like that. Um, it's really the order department, if you want to think of it in that way. Um, there are aspects of homeland security there, probably aspects that would come from the Department of Justice in the US, um, and maybe a few other things that would normally be left to the states. But it's a position which has long been seen actually as a political graveyard, um, the kind of place that if you're prime minister and you have to promote someone, but you don't really want their career to go well, it's where you might put them because it's a position where things often have gone wrong traditionally. Um, certainly, Home Secretary was a revolving door under the previous Labour government. Um, they were gone almost as soon as they arrived. Theresa May has the almost unique distinction, actually, in modern times of being Home Secretary for six years um, under two separate governments now. Um, so clearly, that shows uh, some sticking power, some political nous, uh, and I think probably a, a degree of managerial competence as well, um, that she's managed to stay there as long as she has. Um, and although there have been some bumps in the road, uh, is generally regarded of ha- as having done a decent job. A lot of people view uh, Brexit as having been driven, at least in part, by uh, sort of an antipathy toward immigration. Where has she what, if, what statements has she made and what actions has she taken as Home Secretary? And it's important to mention that Home Secretary, uh, you mentioned this before we started recording, is the kind of job that uh, by the nature of the job, you can look pretty authoritarian. Right. Uh, I think possibly since the Second World War, we've only had two liberals in the Home Office. Uh, one of them was there only very briefly. Uh, it is a job just by its very nature. Um, you tend to look authoritarian if you're there, because even if you have perhaps more liberal instincts, um, the, the nature of the work you're doing and the political realities, the things that the press will demand, that the population will demand, you will probably be led in somewhat authoritarian direction. So it's worth pointing that out up front. Theresa May, um, it, there's certainly an authoritarian streak there. At the same time, she's probably uh, thought of as a social liberal. Um, she was pro-gay marriage, for example. Um, so not a traditionalist conservative in that sense at all. Um, now, if you look at her record, at the Home Office. Um, On immigration particularly, she has been really an immigration hawk. Um, Now, and while she was pro-remaining in the EU, um, she's spoken a lot about immigration, the need to bring it under control. Uh, And and as Home Secretary, she has done uh, as much as she could, I suppose, uh, to try and control immigration from outside the EU. Uh, Some of the measures there, I think, have been misguided, pretty unfair. Um, You know, just just one example. if you're a British citizen, you're trying to bring in a spouse or children from another country. Uh, it's very difficult if you don't earn a lot of money. 
um, there are strict income requirements. This is from uh, Al Jazeera. May is probably best known for her tough stance on immigration as Home Secretary, including efforts to cut net migration numbers, such as barring British citizens from bringing spouses and children into the UK unless they earn in excess of 18,600 pounds. That's about $24,000. One study estimates 15,000 children had been affected by the minimum income requirement since its implementation in 2012. She had control over this policy? Yep, that's that's her policy, her department's policy. All right. So on issues also uh, of interest to free marketeers, where has she come down and where has she been remained uh, curiously silent? Yeah, I mean, curious silence is, is maybe the thing to flag up there. Now, Theresa May has been in Parliament since 1997. Um, she was promoted very quickly into um, the, the shadow government, the, the, the Conservative Party in opposition, who would then shadow their Labour um, peers who were, were, in, were in government. Um, and she's done a whole range of roles in opposition. She shadowed lots of different briefs. None of them actually were focused on economics or business. Um, when she came into government in 2010, she was made Home Secretary. Again, not an economic role. So um, it's, it's kind of hard to pin her down on economics, or at least it has been traditionally, except for the fact that she frequently describes herself as a one-nation conservative. Um, now, that, that's a term that most people probably won't be familiar with over here. But there's this, I guess, fundamental divide in conservatism between um, uh, individual freedom on the one hand and a desire for social order on the other. And all conservative movements, I think, have those two things to some degree, and the balance is, is constantly shifting over time. In Britain, we would tend to say that um, in the Conservative Party, Thatcherites, people who are really inspired by Margaret Thatcher's example, they would fall on the individual freedom side. They're mostly uh, inspired by the idea of free markets um, and the kind of dynamism that comes with that. On the other hand, One Nation Tories they fall more on the social order side. Um, now, they're not necessarily anti-market. Indeed, they're almost certainly pro-business, but they're not radical on economics. And I think they're probably most motivated by trying to heal what they see as social divisions in the country. Um, the term One Nation actually comes from the Victorian Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Disraeli in one of his novels where he talks about Britain as being two nations uh, who don't know or understand each other or get along, uh, the rich and the poor. So One Nation conservatism is really more of a social project than an economic one. Um, and that's, that's the side that she really falls down on. Now, in launching her campaign to become Conservative Party leader over the last few weeks, um, and by extension then to become Prime Minister, she started talking a little bit about her economic vision. Now, her economic vision actually doesn't sound awfully different at this stage um, from that expounded by Ed Miliband, the former leader of the Labour Party, uh, during the 2015 general election campaign. If I had to describe it in one little buzz phrase, I would say industrial activism. So she's talking about um, having consumer and worker representatives on the board of publicly listed companies. Um, she's talking about uh, new powers, both for shareholders and possibly for government over executive pay and bonuses. Um, she's talking about more protection for national champions or strategically important industries from foreign takeovers. Um, and you can go on along those lines. She's talked about cracking down on tax avoidance, on boosting investment in infrastructure, and so on. So 
this is certainly not an agenda that I think a lot of libertarians will be excited about, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um, nevertheless, you, you maybe have to wonder how much of this was a an effort to define herself in a campaign where she was going to be up against a much more traditionally free market candidate. Um, who Andrea Leadsom, who dropped out of the, the leadership race on Monday. So uh, how much of that was real and heartfelt? How much of it was campaign positioning? I think what's going to be the true test, actually, is the cabinet that she puts together over the next few days. Um, who does she put in those crucial trade, business, economic department positions? Because if she goes for people who are on the more Thatcherite side, uh, the more free market people in those positions, I think that will be a sign that those kind of statements she was making um, are not necessarily going to go all the way through into policy. On the other hand, um, if she puts a lot of other people from the left of the Conservative Party in those crucial economic positions, well, then maybe there's a little bit more to worry about if you're a free market guy. So where does labor leadership uh, factor into all of this? Jeremy Corbyn has been, um, I would say, probably not a very popular labor leader. It's extraordinary, actually, that he's still there. Uh, so he became Labour leader essentially because um, his predecessor, Ed Miliband, had the brilliant idea of allowing anybody to join the Labour Party for three pounds. Maybe that's about five dollars or a little less now the pound has fallen. Um, and as soon as they become members, they have the right to vote for the, the leader of their party, whereas traditionally there would have been more, more restrictions on that. Um, now, what happened was a lot of people from the radical left joined the Labour Party. Um, they installed probably the single most left-wing MP there was, Jeremy Corbyn, to lead the party. And I think other Labour MPs initially were thinking, well, well, we'll put up with it, we'll see how it goes, we'll serve in his shadow cabinet, see if we can moderate the influence. Um, after the EU referendum, this has all come to a head. Um, most of his shadow cabinet resigned. Some of the people he got to replace them then resigned as well. Um, there was a no confidence vote held against him. He, you know, 80% of his colleagues voted against him. And he basically said, uh, I'm here to stay. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Deal with it. Um, so there is now going to be a, a Labour leadership challenge. Uh, Angela Eagle, um, is going to stand against Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, there are some confusing legal issues as to whether Jeremy Corbyn has to now be renominated by other members of the Parliamentary Labour Party, or whether he has the automatic right to stand against against Angela Eagle in the leadership election. Now, if he has that automatic right, it's very hard to see how uh, he can win in a nationwide vote of the Labour membership, uh, because so many of these radical leftists have joined up. Um, they're, they're in a pretty serious pickle there, uh, and there's no obvious way out of it, unless Jeremy Corbyn can be prevailed upon to resign. Of interest to Americans, trade. Uh, Britain is an important trading partner for the United States. What is the likelihood, given these machinations, and specifically with uh, Theresa May, uh, becoming prime minister, what is the likelihood of that relationship being affected? Um, I don't see it being affected in, in a negative way, certainly. Um, and I think that as much as Theresa May doesn't necessarily have that those free market instincts, that she's not driven by any kind of ideological fervor, she's, in her own words, a get-on-with-the-job sort of person, um, really driven by a sense of public service more than anything else. And yes, she has some ideas on economics seemingly over the last few weeks, which definitely trend in a non-free market direction. 
I don't see her really dragging policy in a, in, a, in an anti-trade or an anti-market or an anti-business sort of direction. Um, now, I think that she she well understands the importance of Britain's trading relationships around the world. Um, I think that as part of leaving the European Union, she will be someone who wants to promote those as much as possible. Um, my expectation is that she will appoint someone uh, to be effectively a trade representative, a chief trade representative, who is very much on the free market side of things. Um, so. I think that there are probably good prospects for a trade deal with Britain and the US. That depends on the American side, I think, more than the British one. If there's an appetite for it over here, there certainly will be in the UK. Tom Clardy is managing editor of Cato Journal. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.